Greetings and salutations, cheese bags and cheese bag adjacents. My name is Just Bob, and this is another exciting installment of Just a Podcast. Well, I don't know how exciting it is, but it is, without a doubt, another installment of Just a Podcast. Now, as I am speaking, it is just after... St. Patrick's Day weekend, that annual rite of spring. Now, it's a little early. I mean, the official start of spring is today. Although, I've long said, I I think that what they say on the calendar is kind of bunk. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's March 20th, but it does not feel like spring. In any case... I spent my thanks uh, Thanksgiving. I was going to say Thanksgiving. My uh, St. Patrick's Day at Breakaway Two Sports Lounge, Pennsylvania Avenue, Hagerstown, and uh, you know, yeah, we've said this all. We've all said this on the air at some point in time, but it's cool to be back there. It's great to see that place open for business again, and it will not be the last time, I'm sure. But as it does every year. When St. Patrick's Day rolls around, I am once again given to confront my own identity as a mostly Irish American. I mean, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a mutt in that uh, uh, mostly Irish, uh, significant English, Welsh, uh, Scots, and. Uh, a little German, too, a little bit. But, you know, predominantly Irish. I'm from a predominantly Irish family, and it's uh, not one of those things that's like, you know, some people are very gung-ho about whatever their ethnicity might happen to be. And that was never really the case in our family. The fact that we were, you know, Irish and, and generally British-descended is more or less just... Uh, it's uh you know uh it is what it is i guess <laughs> you know what i mean it never really made any great difference to me but every year st patrick's day rolls around and everybody's irish which is fine you know i know i know how it is it's like everybody's mexican on cinco de mayo and everyone's italian on columbus day and whatever but I think it's I think it's funny because so many of the traditions that we follow are we call it, we say that you know it's an Irish thing but it's not <laughs> it you know a lot of a lot of the things we do here in the U.S. are distinctly American and will get you some side-eyed glances from actual Irish people. And I know this from experience. I have had the occasion to hang out and bar hop with a group of people that included uh, an Irish guy. And he was uh, a friend of a friend. And... uh, came from I'm trying to remember where it was and I don't it wasn't like you know the big cities like uh like Dublin or whatever it was like somewhere out in the hinterlands but uh we were in uh Fells Point Baltimore and uh went to uh you know half a dozen bars over the course of the day this was like a full day thing you know we were out for about nine or ten hours, like all day. We're talking like we started somewhere in the early afternoon and finally climbed into a cab sometime after 2 a.m. So it was a very long day. And uh, the whole time, this uh, Irish guy, Sean was his name, and he was (laughs) just telling us, (laughs) Because we asked him, you know, how does this compare 
to what goes on where you're from. And he just laughed. He was like, there is no similarity at all. I mean, it is like a night and day difference. (laughs) So, and I find that, you know, dealing with my fellow Americans, that's probably you if you're if you're listening to this then you know people and I, I've been seeing this like on the socials and and whatnot but people like have this notion that like this is the default you know like the way that we do things here is the only way and uh, obviously that's not the case. And I think in order to make any sort of headway in the world, you've got to understand that there is a world. There's a big world. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't traveled that much. Uh, I've been outside of the continental U.S. exactly two times. Uh, No, that's that's, that's, that's wrong. Uh, It was uh, was, uh, actually three times. But uh, I visited uh, Canada a couple times, and I visited Mexico once. And the trip to Mexico was in 1985, so it wasn't recently, <laughs> necessarily. Uh, last time I was in Canada, I was a little older. I was in my 20s, but even so, it's still it's still been a good while. And uh, I don't have any great ambitions to travel abroad at this point. But, you know, who knows what might happen. I am curious to see places, but the thing is, my concern is I was just reminded about this yesterday. I was reading the news, and there was an article that's been making the rounds about a New York University student who went to Florence, Italy for a semester abroad and talked about how she just totally did not like the experience whatsoever. And uh, a lot of people were like clapping at her about it. And her explanation was like, okay, I'm, I'm stuck in this, uh, Residence, okay, with like six other people. They all have different schedules, so people are coming and going up and down all day and night. And I, I'm just trying to get my work done. You know, the only reason she was in Italy in the first place was because the semester abroad was a requirement for her course load, uh, you know, for her major, for her. Uh, uh, program. And so I guess she kind of made the best of it. People, people are saying, you know, you got to appreciate it, blah, 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 And talking about how her, her roommates were all tra- out traveling every weekend and, and this sort of thing. And, you know, I, I kind of get it, though, because, you know, what's paradise to one person may be hell to another. Uh, but, but in this case, I think it's more like wanting to get down to business and get done what you need to get done, uh, you know, you got the rest of your life to take vacations, you know, after you get out of school. So that, that seemed to, that was my takeaway from it. And I kind of felt like, you know, it, it makes sense to me anyway. But like I said, you know, People on the socials, they always have their their own sort of uh, ideas about everything. And that's, that's kind of what social media has done. You know, people always had opinions about stuff. But they did not have a platform for it before. And now anybody with an internet connection can go and they can make their opinions known to the whole world and there's something very positive to be said about that uh, 
But there's also something very negative to be said about that. You know, the level of discourse is often uh, pretty low. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got people who just uh, have a different perspective but are unwilling or unable to to uh, uh, reconcile it. You know what I mean? Like, I understand – you're not necessarily going to agree with everything I say. And so I am more than happy to kind of explain where I'm coming from um, with the understanding that even after I do that, you still may not agree with what I have to say and I may not agree with what you have to say, but I don't feel like I should need to, you know, force everyone else to conform to my position on things. And there's a lot of people who just never got that menu menu memo. <laughs> there's a lot of people who never got the memo. And so you get – you go on Facebook or Twitter any time of any day and you're going to see a lot of really stupid, pointless, time-wasting arguments about dumb things that don't mean anything. And I find that amusing on one hand. And a little bit of a cause for concern in the on the other hand, because I wonder where does it go from here? I think it's only going to become more so. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be more of the same. Um. But I am I am very curious. I'd like to revisit this topic in like five years and just sort of see like this is where we were and here is where we are. I mean, there's a lot of divisiveness and it's becoming more and more difficult for many people to compartmentalize things. And to, um, you know, focus your attention on one thing at a time. And, uh, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. And if you have listened to me on the air, and if you haven't, then I don't know why you're listening to this now. <laughs> but, I mean, if you've listened – to me, you've heard that, you know. I and I, I, I feel like everybody is at least deserving of having their say. It would just be nice to see it done in. I don't know if I'm going to say a more polite way, but. Uh, you know, I feel like most of the time, most of the conflicts that happen when you're, you know, on the socials, I think are avoidable. If you just, you know, a lot of people just that, that it's like that, that knee jerk reaction. It's like the, uh, you know, the, the rubber mallet on your kneecap. Uh, makes you kick, but uh, you know, most of the time I think it, and I can't tell you how many times I've done this, type out something furiously and get ready to hit send and and then don't do it because what I'm saying is, <laughs> you know, going to create fallout of, of some sort. And, you know, nobody needs that. I, I just don't think, 
I don't think that's necessary at all. But uh, it's it's identity, and it seems like it's becoming more and more important every day. You have people who are expressing their preference with respect to pronouns and with respect to their own personal name. And this is a thing that really just, I I find it extremely bemusing and extremely confusing, okay? And it's this, all right? You see somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, transgender or uh, non-binary or something like that, and they'll say, you know, my pronouns are this, my name is that. How much more easy can you make it? But people will kick back at that. And they'll say, well, you were born this, so you're that. And I kind of feel like if you were to take that logic to its uh, conclusion, you know, if you were to take that and take it all the way, then you would end up with some really absurd scenarios, you know, like people, uh, well, the, the, the big argument with respect to uh, transports over the last few years, all right? People saying, uh, well, you were born a man, you'll always be a man. And every time I, I read that somewhere I always have the same reaction, and that is, I wasn't born a man. I was born a baby. I was born an infant, a newborn. You know, um, it takes time before you become a man or a woman. You know what I mean? So, and I, I also feel like you should have the ability to decide what is best for yourself. And a lot of people seem to really want to tell you who you are. Isn't that ridiculous? Like, I'm not going to tell you who you are. You know who you are, or if you don't know who you are, then... That's for you to figure out. You know, if you tell me who I am, I'm probably not going to respond well to that. And I would imagine it's the same thing for a lot of people. You know, do you want somebody dictating your identity to you? How absurd is that? I mean, I honestly cannot wrap my head around it. Like, you are who you are. And... That's for you to say. I mean, and there are certain things that are immutable. You know, I mean, there are certain things that can't be changed. And there are certain things that people think are immutable, but actually are not. And so there's a vast gulf between the two. And it still really just boggles my mind the idea of somebody dictating to another adult who they are. To me, this is a fundamental thing. And it's stepped on and ignored and made a mockery of every day kind of feel like everyone has a right to to be treated with some basic modicum of dignity and it really does help to try to see things from another person's perspective you know if you are in some way different um 
it can arouse feelings of uh, self-consciousness. Um, and, uh, you know, and that can lead into all sorts of avenues that are perhaps um, undesirable, you know. But I think we've all been there, that, that insecure feeling that hits you maybe when you're out of your element. You know, have you ever been to a party where you didn't know anybody? Or uh, you go with somebody and they start making the rounds of the room and abandon you. <laughs> That's happened to me a few times, and I'm 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 a I, you know I've talked on here before about how I am uh, I've been uh, a sufferer from anxiety for my entire life, and it wasn't even until the last couple of years that I figured out what that was and began to get treatment for it. And it's made a huge difference, but those things, they still happen from time to time, you know, and I, I will, I'll have occasions where I will go into a place and I'll just get what I call the hinky feeling. And the hinky feeling is where I get into somewhere and it's just like this place is failing the vibe check. You know, I'm just, I just, I don't feel like, like, uh, you know, I'm comfortable here. And, you know, I've driven, I've had occasions where I've driven to a place, gotten there, gotten out of my car, walking to the door, and the the hinky feeling hits. And... I have had times where I would just turn around, <laughs> get back in the car and go home. And uh, I used to become upset with myself when those things would happen. And now I don't. I don't because I understand that's just the way that I am and the only way I'm going to ever be able to overcome that is uh, by not beating myself up about it. You know, you give yourself room, you give yourself a margin of error, you give yourself permission to be less than perfect because that's what we all are. I've never met a perfect person ever. Pretty sure it doesn't exist, at least not in the real world. <laughs> you know, for fictional characters, possibly, but you know, we're not fictional characters. We're we're real people, and we live in the real world. And the real world is complicated and difficult and messy and all that stuff. You know, so you do what you got to do to get by. But I think. It would be so nice and it would make life in the modern world so much easier for everybody to just say, you decide who you are. I'm not going to tell you who you are and you're not going to tell me who I am. I'm going to listen to you. To find out what you are. And I'm going to expect you to listen to me. To find out what I am. And it seems like that's. The only way to really. Do it. You know. Because you get people. Go, just going to extremes. You know. Popular one. Is. Uh, I identify as an attack helicopter. You know. I get lost. That is so dumb. It's. Dumb. And, and not only is it dumb, but it doesn't make any sense. Attack helicopter. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's not a person. Does that need to be said? An attack helicopter is not a human. An attack helicopter is an inanimate object. It is a mode of transportation. 
So, but I mean, people say those things just to mock others. And I don't know, man. I've gotten to the point where just that kind of thing, it just, I just don't like it and I just don't want to hear it, you know? And I've heard people say that, uh, you know, we're on a slippery slope to comedy being outlawed or something like that. And that's just not, that's not going to happen. It's not ever going to happen. You know, you may be concerned about quote unquote wokeness, but these things. Now, I, I, I do want to differentiate, though, between just uh, saying, you know, janky stuff and uh, like punching down. And uh, I don't think I don't think punching down has any room in modern life. And you notice that uh, people, uh, comedians in particular, who who are known for that sort of thing have been getting called out on it on a, an increasing basis. And now, for those unfamiliar with the phrase punching down, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. Uh, punching down is basically uh, – mocking or making fun of a of an individual or group that is uh, less fortunate or, or less privileged than yourself and it's something that is almost ingrained <laughs> in American society and I if there's one thing that I've learned it is that shaking off your early conditioning can be extraordinarily difficult. And what I mean by that is in making the decision that you are not going to necessarily allow your thoughts or behavior to be dictated by somebody else. Okay. And I, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm not, I don't mean like with respect to the law or whatever, <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, in terms of your own personal conduct and your interactions with other people and, and that sort of thing. And because you, you may find at some point that something that you were taught as a small child is actually not cool. And something that you learned when you were extremely young and impressionable, you may have a reconsideration about once you have reached adulthood. And I'm pretty sure we've all been there. I know I have. But at the same time, when you have established patterns of behavior dating all the way back to your childhood, it's very difficult to break yourself out of it. And it can be time consuming of course that's true of breaking bad habits in generally but it can be very time consuming and it can be it can be hard work quite frankly and it's not easy but it is rewarding particularly when you encounter another person saying or doing that thing and you're able to see it from the outside and see for yourself that, mm, yeah, that's that's not okay. You know, as a child in Philadelphia, I learned a lot of things that I later realized I did not stand behind. 
and it came to a reconsideration of my own personal values and what I believe is right and wrong as opposed to what other people told me was right or wrong, if you're following me. And it makes a huge difference. And in this day and age, we're inundated with information. And there's a phrase, fake news, that has been making the rounds for the last uh, few years. And I don't... I don't think that that phrase has any validity. Fake news. You know, I don't think there's no such thing as fake news, in my opinion. You've got real BS. <laughs> it's not fake news. Um, it's a lie if it's not true. If it's true, then it's not fake news, it's just news. And to. And this goes for really any um, society, any sort of, uh, you know, uh, any uh, sort of uh, situation. Like, what am I trying to say here? Um, to invalidate news sources that are legitimate and vetted and accurate that disagree with your stance does not make it fake. <laughs> you know, and I, I think it's funny to me, you know, there's people talking about like participation trophies you know, I saw a meme recently where it said, uh, uh, you know, uh, you boomers gave us millennials participation trophies, and now you're mocking us for getting participation trophies. You know what I mean? Like the kids that won participation trophies, where do you think they got them from? You know what I mean? And I, and I, I remember, I'm not a millennial myself, but I'm not much older than the oldest, I'm only about five years older than the oldest millennial. I mean, I'm at the tail end of 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 Gen X, so I, you know, I know those kids. They were they were in elementary school when I was in high school. They were the younger siblings of a lot of my friends, and so I saw this for myself. And I, I remember thinking as a teenager, you know, it's kind of cool. You know, you go out for a sport, you play a sport, and then everybody get something to commemorate it. I remember when I was playing in Little League Baseball in Port Richmond, Philadelphia, when I was seven, eight years old, and I barely got off the bench because I sucked. <laughs> there was two things that I would come to realize I was doing wrong in my baseball education. The, well, the first thing was I was taught to throw and catch lefty because I write left-handed. And turns out that I'm not fully left-handed. I'm mixed dominant, which means that I have... Certain things I do with one hand, certain things I do with the other. Actually, I'm more right-handed than left-handed. I mean, the, really, the only things I do exclusively left-handed are right, hold a fork, you know, brush my teeth. Um, anything that, that, you know, you hold in your hand, like if it requires, like, manual dexterity, uh, left-handed. If, it, if it's, like, something that's just power, like throwing a ball then I do that right-handed. If I'm kicking, I do that with my right foot. I mean, I really am mostly right-handed. I just happen to write with my left hand, and I, I really don't know how that came about. But a lot of people say, you tell them that, and they're like, that's ambidextrous, but that is not what ambidexterity means. Ambidexterity is when you can do 
everything with both hands. And there was a there was a U.S. president. I wish I could remember who. Or maybe not a U.S. president. Maybe it was Benjamin Franklin. I don't know. Somebody I read about, this was relatively recently, who could write with both hands at the same time and could write in a different language with each. And I'm like, okay, I'll never do that. I can actually write legibly with my right hand, but it re- it's very slow and it requires a lot more effort. You know, for whatever reason, when I first picked up a crayon at the age of three, it was in my left hand, and and that was it. In any case, back to my Little League experience. I rode the bench because, A, there was no rule that said the coaches had to play all the players. And there was no parents going in there saying, you know, well, my kid needs to get into the game. You know, the parents kind of understood the object is to win, and so if your kid sucks, they're going to be riding the pine more often than not. And, I, you know, usually when I did get into a game, it was like a late-inning defensive replacement. And I I would go wherever. Uh, you know, I played uh, in the infield and uh, in the, uh, the outfield a couple times. But when I was... Set as an outfielder, I then discovered the other issue that I had, which is namely that I have pretty poor eyesight and tracking a baseball off a bat from home plate to the outfield (laughs) was not something that I was going to be able to do. It just wasn't. I couldn't see anything. So a lot of times I wouldn't even pick up the ball until it was well in the air. And if I had to, you know, if I had to, to, to run to catch it, then it was probably going to go over my head. And so I think the, the coaches and my teammates became very exasperated with this. When I played in the infield, it was, it was not as bad because I was a lot closer. And, uh, but I, I didn't expect to get a, a trophy for participating because that was not something that was done, you know, in that time and place. But it was only uh, 10 years later, maybe, when I started seeing that. And uh, from the time that my family moved to Columbia, Maryland, uh, I was nine. And uh, my Mom tried to get me signed up for the soccer team because soccer was a huge thing in Colombia. still is. And there were years-long waiting lists for kids to get on the on the team. And the, and the baseball team was the same way, the youth baseball team. And so it was like you, you know, you, you, you put yourself on the wait list when you're nine and you finally get on the field when you're 12. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's all right. I, I'll find something else to do with my time. And I I ended up taking up the drums instead. And, uh, well, I don't know how that could be said to have turned out. But I find it very interesting, all the ways, and we're reminded about this pretty much on a daily basis, a way the lack of understanding between people, and I mean it in the sense of, you know, two people are having a conversation and they really don't know what the other's talking about. I mean, how many times has that happened to you where you're talking with somebody and, and you realize, you know what? I have no idea what this person is talking about. I'm finding that it happens much more than it ever used to. And I'm not sure if that is a cause or an effect, but it is definitely there. And I kind of feel like the old, uh, there's an old uh, joke regarding Great Britain and the U.S. that we're two nations divided by a common language. (laughs) And I, I I would go even farther than that, and I would say that that's probably true 
of people dealing with each other, you know, especially especially in the online world. And I, I don't know, you know, it's difficult to predict trends when it comes to these things because I'm I'm not a sociologist. I'm not even I'm not even an amateur sociologist, honestly. I'm just a random dude and uh so my perspective with respect to the big picture is it's no different than yours. It's no different than anyone's, honestly. And I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I think about that, I, I wouldn't say frequently, but I think about it occasionally, particularly when I have seen people getting into like flame wars and whatnot over stupid things. And I mean, a man that I greatly admired was uh, Dale Carnegie. All right. And if you've never heard of him, he he wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And if you haven't read that book, I strongly recommend it because it's a fantastic guide for uh, dealing with people. You know, uh, Dale Carnegie, the author, started out giving seminars for salespeople because sales, to me, sales is like the most terrifying job on the world. And I'm sure some of you listening are in that profession and I tip my hat. You can't see it, but I'm tipping my hat right now. I mean, like like the the – the sales staff here at, at, at the radio station, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of what they do for the most part, quite honestly, because I couldn't. And, uh, so anytime you have somebody who can take these sorts of principles, uh, like persuading somebody else to agree with you, because that's all sales is, you know, getting a yes out of the person that you're trying to sell. And there are tried and true methods of accomplishing that. And he just lays it right out for you. But it's not just for salespeople. I mean, everyone has relationships of some kind. I'm not just talking about you know, romantic partnerships. I mean, we all have a relation. You have a relationship with your friends. You have relationships with your coworkers. You have relationships with everybody that you deal with. And having a way to kind of smooth out those interactions by knowing what to say and what not to say to sort of grease the wheels is incredibly helpful. And for several years, I would reread that book on an annual basis and try to put into practice the things that I learned. And I haven't done that in a couple of years. Now that I'm thinking of it, maybe I'll go and re-download it onto my Kindle and <laughs> give it another read-through. But a lot of times you have more in common with the other person than maybe either of you realizes. And it's always really cool when you discover this. You find a little piece of commonality goes a long way. And that's absolutely true in my experience. And so... I recommend because I'm I'm never going to tell you what to do, all right. Uh, unless it's like, don't kill me. But uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I can recommend that trying to find a commonality, especially with someone that you think has wronged you in some way. You know, another facet of daily modern life in the USA, 
is people some people are very defensive about things. You know, like I see almost on a daily basis, uh, you know, this is on the, the socials, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, stuff like that. Uh, dudes, and it's all, it always seems to be dudes or, or predominantly dudes, I should say. And they're wearing shirts like, you know, uh, you know, they're threatening, you know, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. And for one thing, if you got a paragraph on your back, I ain't reading it. Okay. I ain't reading it. If you got a shirt that says like, make seven up yours, I'll read that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if it's like a paragraph, I'm going to pass. You know, if I want to read that much, uh, I'd rather it be something that I'm actually interested in. But it does seem like a lot of people are kind of like walking around anticipating trouble in every way. And I think when it comes to those sorts of things, you find what you're looking for, you know, and... It's uh, a, a hoary old cliche, but cliches are cliches because they have a germ or more of truth to them. But, I mean, it's it's always been amusing to me that, you know, I would say people, people who go out looking for trouble usually find it. And... Uh, It's real easy to take something that's happened in your life and visit it upon the next person. You know what I mean? Take your issues out on some undeserving person because they just happened to walk in the room at the wrong time. And, I, and again, I think we've all been guilty of that at least once. I mean, I I have. I'm not proud of it. But I kind of feel like, you know, if you are the sort of person that values accountability and the ability to introspect to the point of saying, all right, well, I made a mistake there. I was in the wrong that's a very powerful phrase. I was in the wrong. You know what I mean? I found that a lot of people are incapable of taking accountability. You know, and you, I'm sure you, you could probably think of two or three off the top of your head. And it's always the same thing. It's never their fault. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes it just is your fault. And it's astonishing to me both how often I see grown adults who really should know better trying to you know, come up with excuses to sort of dissemble their way out of some issue. You know, a, a, a very um, sort of a pivotal, I guess, moment in my young adult life. Uh, I've mentioned before on the air that I worked for several years at a car dealership for about six years I worked there. And... Part of my job was retrieving customer vehicles for service customers. All right. So they would bring their car in and it would be parked out in the back. Then the mechanic would get it, work on it, park it back in the back. When the person comes to pick it up, I take their key, I go get their car and I pull it up. And that's, 
you know, that's a standard thing. I think a lot of a lot of dealerships have a similar sort of arrangement. So I get into this pickup truck, and it's a you know it's a, a, a lifted F one fifty and pretty big. And I get into this truck and 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 drove it out to the back lot. And when I got to the back lot, I went to park it, hit the brake pedal, the brake pedal went straight to the floor. Turns out that the truck had a faulty master cylinder or some kind of, you know, issue with the brakes. And the person who checked it in didn't tell me, didn't like write a note on the key fob or whatever. They didn't do anything. So I got, long story short, I got to the back lot and I crashed the truck. I hit, I hit a, a car back there. And if you've ever had a one car accident when you're alone, you have that moment of time where like everything stops like no one is there no one has seen anything and you kind of run through the scenarios in your mind like what can i do about this and you you know you think of all the worst things in that moment you know like well you know i can just quit this job and <laughs> and run away and never come back but in the end, I said, well, this is going to be, you know, this has got to be dealt with. You know, I mean, I just crashed a customer's car. We're going to have to fix it for them. So I went into the boss's office, and I was not looking forward to this at all. The boss was a, a big guy, really gruff. He used to tell the pretty much everyone in the department, he would tell them, I can do any of your jobs better than you. And the thing was, he actually could. So I went in there and I said, I had an accident. I explained to him what happened. And he said, okay, well, thanks for being up front. And it turned out that the car I hit belonged to an employee. And the employee went to my boss and tried to get me reprimanded for the accident. And the boss pointed out, well, you were parked in a service area where you shouldn't have been parked. I think they still fixed the car and the truck, but I, I, I was very vindicated. And I realized it happened because I told the truth. I didn't try and get out of it. And and when I was a kid, that's that's all I did. You know, I mean, nothing was my fault. I tried to try to get out of everything and you find that when you're dealing with somebody who cannot admit fault in any way that for one thing it is it's very trying. I have to say, to deal with people like that because there's no accountability. And I understand that, as I said earlier, no one's perfect. I know I'm not. And we all make mistakes. You know, we don't set out to make mistakes. You don't say, you don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to go to work and completely screw up today. Nobody says that. And yet it does happen from time to time. And it's to be expected, really. I mean, we do our best. And sometimes your best just don't cut the mustard, you know what I mean? And there is a right way and a wrong way to respond to that. And the right way, and again, I'm just telling you what I think, all right? These are not axioms. <laughs> but 
I I feel like the right way to handle that is to say, first of all, say to yourself, okay, how did I mess up here? And what can I do to avoid it happening again? And so that requires, first of all, it requires um, honesty. Uh, It requires an unwillingness to um, BS yourself because we all do that. We all do that, you know. You might tidy up an unpleasant truth to make it a little more palatable. But when you are alone with yourself, I feel like the best thing to do is just be straight up and be honest. And you're going to find that instead of the worst happening which is what we it's what we fear you know i mean if you are in a position where you're like well that wasn't my fault because blah 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 chances are you are afraid or apprehensive about what the uh you know the consequences are going to be but i have found that when you are willing to do that, you know, take responsibility for the things that you did and be upfront and open about it and uh, express a willingness to adapt and make a sincere and honest effort to improve. You're going to find that people are a lot more willing to listen to what you have to say because they know you're not lying to them. And to me, that's just, you know, that's really basic. But, I, you know, I learned that I was, I don't know, 23 years old when the episode I just mentioned took place. Yeah, relatively young person. And, uh. I realized, you know, wow, that wasn't as bad as I expected. And it actually ended up uh, working in my favor. In fact, I was singled out by the boss in a, in a meeting who said, who said in front of like 60-some service staff people, you should try and be more like J.B., and I, I think no one has ever said that about me before and probably since. <laughs> but I digress. You know, I'm not here on a soapbox to try and lecture you. I'm just sharing some thoughts that I've had that maybe you agree with, maybe you don't. If you don't, though, maybe you ought to give some thought as to why and let me know. You know, like I said, I, I, I welcome debate when it is respectful and I kind of feel like the only way to really get things done uh, effectively is is by doing that. The understanding that even people you don't agree with still have a point of view with merit. And frequently I have found in my own experience that Making an honest effort to understand why others behave in the way that they do is a good way for us to remind ourselves that the other person is acting on 
what they believe is right, just like you are. And kind of feel like you can't have too many reminders of that. Kind of feel like that's a kind of a really important thing and to see yourself in relation to other people is often very illuminating. It's an eye-opening experience. That's going to do it for this edition of Just a Podcast. If you're still with me, I sincerely appreciate it and uh, look forward to chatting with you again next time. Have a good one.